You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. There were protests and chaos at the nation's airports this weekend in response to President Trump's executive order on immigration blocking citizens of seven mostly Muslim countries from entering the United States for 90 days. Condemnation of the ban came from a wide group of people, from religious leaders and constitutional scholars to business leaders and Democrats. Here's Pennsylvania Governor Tom Wolf. These are legal immigrants. These are people who have gone through all the hurdles and they have chosen to come and live with us here in Pennsylvania. And I say to them, you are welcome here. Officials from the Trump administration defended the order. White House Chief of Staff Reince Priebus said on NBC's Meet the Press that the executive order was an important step in protecting the country's national security. Perhaps some of these people should be detained uh, further. And if they're folks that shouldn't be in this country, they're going to be detained. And so apologize for nothing here. So far, four federal judges in New York, Massachusetts, Virginia, and Washington have issued temporary rulings blocking aspects of the order. Our guests today are David Beyer, immigration policy analyst at the Cato Institute, and Jennifer Chacon professor at UC Irvine Law School. Jennifer, there's been a lot of questions about what the order actually does. Tell us about the order. Well, the order, um, I think there's a lot of questions about what the order actually does because it was rushed out um, extremely quickly. And regardless of anyone's immigration policy preferences, I think we all need to be troubled by the fact that the president ruled out this highly consequential and widespread change of policy without properly vetting it through legal counsel um, and with insufficient concern that it be implemented in accordance with established law and constitutional principles. So the order uh, puts a freeze on refugee admissions. It bans, uh, uh, puts a freeze on all immigration from seven uh, countries identified in the order. It uh, puts a freeze on uh, immigration from Syria. And then it signals uh, uh, what appears to be a complete unawareness of the many security measures that are already in place in our immigration screening system. Um, And orders a host of duplicative and unexplained requirements on agency officials at DHS and state um, to perform additional uh, data gathering tasks and, um, and screenings, many of which are already in place. David, over the weekend, there were, I think, five rulings by judges staying the order in various different ways. Uh, kind of legally speaking, if you put these five rulings together, what is the legal status right now in terms of implementing and enforcing the order? Well, the vast majority of this order is still in effect, and most of the order is intended to prevent new people from arriving in the United States. 
the vast majority, all of the orders were uh, specific to people who had already arrived in the United States, and uh, the government was seeking to remove them under the on the basis of this order. So uh, that's who the order affects. Uh, those orders affect uh, most of the order going forward is going to be affecting people who are not in the United States restrained overseas. And as far as what the president, the authority the president has, Jennifer, over over immigration, and according to federal law, he's allowed to suspend people or classes of people if he determines their entry is detrimental to the nation. What are some of the um, the the limitations on that? Well, I think the the, the president uh, invoked Section two twelve of. 212F of the INA as the justification for his ability to suspend these broad categories, um, whole countries of people from um, entering. And 212F has never been used that expansively before. There was actually consideration of the possibility of using it um, in the wake of uh, the attacks of 2001, a time of extraordinarily high attention um, and concern about security. And uh, the government at that time determined that that sort of an expansive use of 212F um, would be uh, legally problematic. And so it seems like if you're under direct attack um, and you're and you're finding that the use of 212F in that way would be legally problematic, um, in a situation like this where there's no apparent um, uh, trigger uh, for the invocation of this section, this looks troubling. But in addition to this, I think it's important to stress the fact that um, that the order purported to give and was being used by Border Patrol agents to turn away lawful permanent residents under the auspices of that statutory provision, which doesn't even apply to returning lawful permanent residents. And it took a belated statement from Department of Homeland Secretary Kelly two days after the order went into effect to rescind that lawless effect of the application of that provision. So that, again, speaks to how things were so rushed out that statutory provisions that don't allow for certain kinds of actions were being used um, to justify those actions. And that um, should, I think, be troubling for everybody. Well, David, the, the lawsuits, uh, also, or at least some of them, raise constitutional questions. And the judges seem to find, at least to some degree, that the, there's a likelihood of success that they might be unconstitutional. What, what is the constitutional attack on the order? Well, the main ones that have been talked about so far are uh, dealing with the First Amendment and, and targeting of religion. I tend to think that that's probably not going to be a successful tact. Uh, the, it's pretty clear that Congress does have the power to give the president the ability to uh, restrict uh, entry of people however he wants. However, in this instance, the immigration laws are very specific in saying you cannot discriminate based on national origin when you're talking about immigrant visas, the people who are coming to the United States to live permanently. In that instance, Congress has, has specifically said you cannot take into account national origin, which is what this order does. So at least for those people who are coming to the United States for permanent residency, they could potentially have a claim that he has exceeded his authority from Congress. Do you agree, Jennifer, or do you see any other areas of strength in attacking this? I think one of the difficulties that we have with immigration law is that we still have a great deal of constitutional precedent from the late 19th century that stands in place that um, that not only um, grants to the um, 
to the uh, federal government, and I would say that's Congress and the president, not the president alone, but um, grants them great power um, over immigration law. But it also, in the cases like the Chinese exclusion cases, allowed them to exercise that power in ways that discriminated explicitly on the basis of race. Um, and, uh, and so we have these challenging precedents that are still in place. I do think, though, um, that with the enactment of the, uh, of the Immigration and Nationality Act of 1965, Congress clearly signaled their intention to bring the United States into an era where uh, immigration law was governed by the same equal protection norms and where the, the law is quite clearly clear uh, about the fact that, uh, that nations are to be uh, treated uh, treated in a uniform way and that individuals weren't to be barred, as, uh, as was just said, on the basis of, of national origin. Um, and so we do have these uh, these um, new uh, constitutional principles in the, in the post-civil rights era that, uh, that haven't fully made their way right. into immigration law. But Hold that thought. You're listening to Bloomberg Law. I'm June Grosso with Michael Best in New York and Greg Store in Washington, D.C. We've been talking about what everyone's been talking about today, and that is the Trump travel ban. And what is the chaos that has resulted at airports and the lawsuits that have resulted as well. And our guests today are David Beyer, immigration policy analyst at the Cato Institute, and Jennifer Chacon, professor at UC Irvine Law School. David, Noah Feldman, who is a Harvard Law professor and a Bloomberg View columnist, wrote a column on Trump travel ban is an attack on religious liberty. And we know that we have heard Trump say things during the campaign and afterwards about about allowing more Christians to come in as opposed to Muslims to come in. And what how does that play as far as the legality of this order? Well, the order itself does not, uh, as far as the travel ban portion of it goes, does not discriminate between Christian or Muslim immigrants. And so it's important for people to understand that there are tens of thousands of Christian immigrants from these places in the United States who will be affected by this order. And so it's it's not correct to call this a a Muslim ban, though it's certainly motivated by animus or fear of Muslims. So that it's understandable why people are branding it that way. But it will have effects that hurt all faiths. Um, you know, Iranian immigrants and Iranian refugees who've been coming here for decades, many of them are Christian, and they will not be able to sponsor their family members who are in Iran right now as a result of this uh, executive action. Jennifer, one of the things that that does actually seem to talk about religion in the order is is in regard to refugees. And the order says that um, in determining refugee status, that the country going forward is going to prioritize people who are religious minorities in the countries that they are coming from. Is there any legal issue with with that, or is that just a continuation of the way the country's always taken religious oppression into account when admitting refugees? Well, the refugee um, laws in particular are aimed at, uh, at, at 
uh, individuals who are the target of persecution um, in uh, in places where their uh, country where the state is unwilling or unable to protect them. And so that applies obviously to anybody um, who, regardless of religion, who is existing in a situation where their religion um, makes them the target of persecution. The troubling thing about this order is it suggests there's some sort of hierarchy about which religions ought to be which religions ought to be privileged in um, making that determination, and that's simply inconsistent um, with the uh, with the re- international laws uh, governing the treatment of refugees, and it's inconsistent with U.S. values, which have always, I think, um, encouraged people of all religions um, and no religions um, to uh, come to the country and to be part of, of society. David, we just learned that Washington State, the Attorney General, has announced a lawsuit against Trump over this. And do you expect other states to follow suit? I would certainly expect that they would. Um, New York's representatives are extremely upset over this situation. Um, a significant number of people are now strand- – New Yorkers are stranded around the world as a result of the order. Um, so I would certainly expect New York and several other states who are going to be principally uh, affected by what the president has just done to sign on to uh, a lawsuit uh, trying to overturn this order. Jennifer, in in 30 seconds, what do you think? Is the order going to stand in court or is it going to be overturned? Well, I think there were parts of it that are uh, definitely vulnerable to legal challenge and um, and will be overturned. But I uh, agree um, with uh, your other guest that the president does have broad discretion in the area of setting refugee policy. So I think that uh, courts can do something to uh, to restrain um, the illegal aspects of the order and the discriminatory and may do something about the discriminatory aspects of the order. But some of this is political as well, and so it will depend on um, a pushback from Congress um, and and pushback from um, the general public. Um, um, if if we want to um, ensure that uh, some of the features of the law, which do lie within the president's discretion, um, are, are checked. Thank you both for being on Bloomberg Law. That's Jennifer Chacon, professor at UC Irvine Law School, and David Beyer, immigration policy analyst at the Cato Institute. Coming up on Bloomberg Law, we're going to talk about what this is like for immigration lawyers and their clients right now. Just what do they do in the face of this executive order from President Trump. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.